Yeah, speaking of getting back to work, um, it is very strange not recording so often. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of nice. Like, it's, I, I don't know, I'm not complaining. Like, it's, um, it was a good feeling this week. You know, we went from the podcast is constantly on my mind and I'm always under the gun time-wise uh, to mm-hmm. keep it coming out to, like, I hardly have anything to do for the podcast and I'm really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Which actually come to that might might actually be a nice way into the topic because we've taken something that was a constant work pressure chore task. Um, we're doing it uh, arguably at least at the same level, maybe even a little bit better, but doing less of it and suddenly, you know, it becomes sustainable and joyful and productive. Mm, um, I like a lot of those words. <laughs> me too. Um, that should be my Twitter bio. <laughs> there you go. Sustainable. Joyful. Productive. Mm, that could, Katie. That could be, we could start a, conf- a consulting firm and that could be our motto. Mm-hmm. With nice little, the, the little bullets and things mm-hmm. between them. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Little separators. Yeah. In, inappropriately used typographical marks. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. A, a mainstay of uh, consultant marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Leibman Group. Sustainable. <laughs> joyful. Productive. Mm. Stars. <laughs> Visit our e-store and check out our book, The 52-Week Vacation. Mm. All the books. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is a good segue. Um, in, in my prep for this week, I... Um, I, I just kept stacking up my, my list of annoyances. <laughs> Things that annoy me in the conversation we are about to enter. Mm. Well, do you want to yeah. do you want to tell us what that conversation is? I can certainly try. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Administrative Nonsense Day. For complete show notes including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, Visit us online at priority.fm slash 54. So uh, I think this made the cut of, a, of a, an episode previously recorded. Maybe. I can't remember now when we were talking about this on or off air. Um, so I had been seeing headlines about a variety of male techie CEO types who work eight gajillion hours and are just awesome rock stars at what they do. Mm -hmm. And apparently their lives are both insane and totally sustainable for them as humans. So I clicked on a couple of these links to see what the deal was. So specifically, uh, Quartz had an article about Elon Musk, um, who's a big, important person. I don't pay attention to these people much except for <laughs> where their lives become right. interesting for me so yeah. <laughs> i cannot rattle off the ceos of of the major tech mm-hmm. companies well and i can i can give a real quick bio of elon musk um he, sure. he founded a very important online payment company that likes to freeze people's accounts um because it is convenient to them to hold on to their money for long periods of time uh, and not let you Whee! have access to it which is called paypal not that I'm bitter. Um, and uh, he is currently the uh, founder and CEO of Tesla Motors, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't. I don't have a jab at because I actually kind of admire Tesla. 
Um, and yeah, Musk works 100 hours a week and has for the past 15 years, according to, uh, many of the folks that write about him Mm -hmm. in various places. So in this one particular article, so I wanted to know because the headline, yeah, how Elon Musk thrives with a 100 hour work week. So I, I wanted, I, I wanted to know what is the answer to that question? How does he thrive with 100 hour work week? Um, so I read the article, which was, uh, as many articles are, divided into items on a basically a, a list, <sighs> explaining these different productivity strategies that Musk uses to create a super effective, but also, again, super intense work week. But none of these strategies explain how, the, none of these strategies account for the time spent working versus mm-hmm. not working in every week. So that was the frustrating thing for me was some of these strategies are very interesting and I thought about the applications for my life and the things we like talking about here on Priority. But by the end of the article, I thought, wait a second, they could be describing any length of work Right, week. right. And, you know, just, just for the for the reader's information, you know, the, the things that he talks about in here, a couple of which I think we'll hit on a lot more in the course of this conversation, things like batching, um, you know, putting together tasks that go well together. So once you're in a certain mode, you can stay there. Um, there's one that they call signal over noise, um, which, uh, you know, by which they mean focusing on, on a few certain priorities for his company. Um, you know, getting, getting good feedback and diverse opinions in the workplace, um, making sure employees are prepared for meetings, uh, carefully scheduling the whole day and following the schedule as much as possible. Um, they also list risk taking, which I don't know what that has to do with productivity. I mean, that's, you know, risk taking is a good, good business success kind of, you know, trait in some ways, but I don't, I don't know that that addresses productivity, but to your point, none of these have anything to do with a hundred hour work week. Like this, no. this isn't how you sustain a hundred hour work week. This is how you get more out of any given amount of time. Like these, the right. same list of strategies could have appeared in an article called how Timothy Ferris works a four hour work week. Absolutely. Tim Ferris would. Yeah, well, I mean, he would also have an article in there about, like, virtual assistants in India who, for $4 an hour, are, like, doing his taxes and sending email on his behalf. But, you know, other than that, it could be this list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation right now about um, calls for a six-hour work week, six-hour work week, a six-hour work day, 30-hour mm-hmm. work weeks, um, thinking about research that shows what, at what point you hit the point of diminishing returns on a work day mm-hmm. and a work week. Um, so yeah, so thinking back through this frame, these things that Musk does throughout the week, it could be true of a 30-hour work week. It could be true of a 40 or 50-hour work week. Right, yeah. I mean, these are these are strategies for packing stuff in. Like, essentially, this is, this is like, you know, the title is How Elon Musk Thrives on a, uh, what is it? How Elon Musk Thrives with a 100-hour work week. But I mean, mm-hmm. this is like... Yeah, all it's all it's telling us is how anybody could thrive with any number of hours. And in his case in particular, like, I, you know, I think the missing thing here is um, we don't really have we don't really have a linkage between the hundred hour and the thriving, you know, clearly defined. Like, is this mm-hmm. is this how he thrives despite having a hundred hour work week? Um, you know, and, and does the thriving relate simply to the fact that he is working a hundred hours, you know, like do these strategies not really matter that much? It's just that he works as much as two and a half people. 
um, mm-hmm. which as we'll talk about for most people isn't really sustainable or, or real when you try to do that much work. But, you know, what's what's the linkage between the thriving and the hundred? Um, it, none of these none of these have anything to do with it. And really, I think the thing that's really missing here, if he's actually thriving, you know, if he's thriving, not if his company is thriving, none of these strategies address how to make this sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. like I, you know, seeing the headline, I would expect things like, you know, here's what his diet and exercise regime is like. Here's how he gets enough sleep. Um, here's right. how he keeps himself from going crazy. Um, you know, things like that, 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 <laughs> you know, I think of a hundred hour work week and then you read through this and if he's actually doing all these strategies as much as this article implies, you know, if he's scheduling every minute, if he's holding everybody highly accountable for preparation so that no, no time at all is wasted in meetings. Um, if he is batching tasks up so he can just keep churning through stuff, you know, I think maybe the art, the argument that could be made is that like he works only a hundred hours, but he's getting 150 hours worth of work done. Well, that's, Mm. that's great. How is he still alive is the more interesting question. You know, how is he actually, how is he thriving as an individual human being? So yet again, the answer is robots. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the question is how, how is he humaning if he's <laughs> yeah. if he's working 100 hours a week Absolutely. because all of these things are he's talking about this is the work day this is the worker Elon Musk mm-hmm. what about the human Elon Musk right and you know if he sleeps if he sleeps 8 hours a night um, that's another 56 hours so he's only got 12 hours left in the whole week for non-work non-sleep Mm-hmm. You know, how does how does one thrive in that kind of environment, um, which I do actually have an answer to that isn't in any of these articles, but robots, uh, kind of robots, it's it, it robots in a way. Um, one thing I think is missing from from that kind of discussion, like how is he thriving as a human if he is this busy with work? Um, I, I think the fact that, you know, and there's there maybe there's a chicken and the egg thing, you know, surely he worked pretty hard before he was rich in the first place. But um, it does occur to me that part of the way that you get to an 80 or 100 hour work week that you can actually do as one of these highfalutin tech CEOs and not lose your mind or burn out your body uh, is that you are wealthy enough that you have the help you need for everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Another article I'll link to in show notes this week, uh, which is, uh, I I think the original one is this one I'll link to in Medium, although I've seen it all over, including the Huffington Post. Um, It's by Amy Westervelt, and it's called Having It All Kinda Sucks. Um, And she just describes basically the first month of her newborn son's life and her working life. um, You know, gives you kind of a day in the life look at it and, and the way that she is um, you know, from, from dusk till dawn. And in fact, before dusk until after dawn, she is running around like a crazy person trying to take care of her infant son, trying to keep the fact of her infant son kind of hidden from her clients and colleagues because she wants to present a professional image and just working constantly, um, to try to keep up with everything. And it occurs to me, you know, she seems to be, to be pretty good at what she does, but it's definitely taking a toll on her. And I am guessing Elon Musk is not taking care of his newborn baby son, if he has one or had one while he's working these hundred hour weeks, you know, he has somebody for that. He is not, he has, he has six sons. He is not doing the laundry. He is not taking the trash out. He's not cooking for himself. Um, you know, there are all of these things that (laughs) us as, as people, (laughs) um, in the 99 and even a good chunk of the 1% have, to do um, to get through the week, to keep our households running, to take care of our kids, um, particularly Mm -hmm. women, but I think all people, 
Um, you know, if you count the amount of housework I do, I'm working another 10 or 15 hours a week, I think. Um, uh, there's a lot of this stuff that, that you know, when you read about, about Elon Musk or, or another one we'll talk about, Jack Dorsey working an 80-hour week, I think part of how he does it is money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Randy. Wow, seriously. So so part of this gets a, a gender, too, because a lot of these stories that came up when we were thinking about what conversations are happening right now about these wildly successful CEOs and, and what their productivity looks like. Um, yeah, a lot of them are men. Mm-hmm. And then we have these counter voices of um, successful, but maybe sort of ordinary or not um, particularly well-known women offering these narratives of, of what their lives really look like, um, trying to pull back some sort of veil mm-hmm. or curtain. Oh, yeah. Um, and and, and talk about to it. shoot one in real quick, it occurs to me that I, I'm pretty sure I didn't look up anything for this for the in show prep, but I'll bet I can find some because I know I've seen this before. Um, one tech CEO who does have a similar or at least used to have a very similar um, work-life balance outlook on life uh, and style of working is Marissa Mayer, um, currently of Yahoo. Uh, mm. But I think it's interesting that she's the only example that comes to mind. You know, to, mm. to your point, like this is mostly a man thing mm. or, or at least that's how it gets, you know, those are the ones I hear about. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting too. So according to the internet, Musk has six sons. Mm-hmm. And probably six nannies and three butlers. And he has a, he has a 100 hour work week that is managed and has nothing to do with what? Okay. Now I'm just sort of reeling and and, i found another headline (laughs) elon musk didn't like his kid's school so he made his own (laughs) i mean that's Mm -hmm. a very uh that's a very practical solution and suggested strategy for the average parent Mm -hmm. oh yeah totally i'm uh i'm thinking of that myself uh once our son is born i'm gonna i'm gonna look into building a preschool Mm -hmm. just in case you don't like the ones available in the area Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah uh, okay. so I think, I think that underscores the point. <laughs> Yikes. This is a man who has the option of going to start a school if, uh, if he doesn't particularly care for the school his child is going to, um, for the, for the six sons that he spends less than 12 hours a week left. Right. With. Right. Yeah. That, and you know, I, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm sure, you know, different, different strokes for different folks. He's got his own definition of work-life balance. Fine. Um, I, <laughs> I understand all kinds of people have to make all kinds of trade-offs you know with the amount of time they spend with their kids but this is not a trade-off this guy has to make um yeah that's kind of gross wow and right we only know what what we are reading right now mm-hmm. we don't know this human this human is right. wildly inaccessible to us mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, and there's, you know, one other angle that is probably worth mentioning, I don't think is the case here, but I'll, I'll throw it in there anyways. Um, there was also an article, um, I, think, I want to say it was in the New York Times um, about a year or so ago, uh, I will find it for show notes, that was uh, about, um, in fact, I think the, the headline was, How Some Men Fake an 80-Hour Work Week and Why It Matters, um, mm, mm-hmm. that was about this phenomenon of people who claim to have these kind of superhuman hours, but really are just working kind of flexible hours and, and, you know, using their, you know, they're actually getting 30 or 40 hours of work done, but pretending to work 60, 70, 80 hours, 
uh, in order to save face at the office. So there could be some of that going on here too. Um, I hope for his kid's sake, that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah. Something that Amy Westervelt said in that, in that post um, about having it all, uh, you know, she tries to, to bring a, a balanced look at this because really her call is, can we please re-examine the way we talk about this narrative of having it all, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about women's lives and women's choices about uh, families and work lives. Um, but I, I like, there's a couple of moments where she says, uh, you know, she's talking about some of these disclaimers about her point of view. She says, nor do I think that the world owes me an easy life or that I should get to make choices with no trade-offs or have all these things without really working damn hard for all of them. Right. Um, and she tries to point out, you will always be choosing between things that need your attention. So trying to say, let's not pretend like the ideal of getting to experience all these different parts of of life in a really rich way won't be (laughs) exhausting and full of trade-offs and Mm -hmm. and everything else. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, again, I, I want to, I'll, uh, we did an episode on Amazon and their work culture, which embraces this sort of work week, it seems. Um, and one art, one argument many people made against sort of the critiques of Amazon in the wake of, of you know, those those new stories last year was, hey, these are adults. Some of them, you know, most of them, probably all of them have some kind of option here. They they all chose to be there. Nobody's in, in bonded servitude to, to this company. Um, and I, I think that's certainly true. And I think there's room in the world for people who want to work that way. David Allen has said in a couple different places, um, you know, he's worked with people who are, who are in their twenties and like their careers, all they got going on and and they feel out of sorts if they spend too much time at home. Um, and that's Mm. just how they're wired. And, you know, I totally believe that. Um, yeah, again, on the flip side though, I just, I don't know, I don't know what the point of holding up these guys and and how they're doing this as a model for us is a good idea. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and these articles don't really address how they're actually pulling it off, which again, I think is mostly money. Um, (laughs) so, so that's the solution, right? Robots, Mm -hmm. money, robots and money. Yeah. Um, uh, build your own school. Yeah, we, choose your own adventure. We should probably talk a little bit about why this is a bad idea for most people um, to be working eighty hours a week, aside from the burnout and lack of family time. Um, <laughs> which you know, again, some people are into. Some people hate their families. But uh, a couple of things that I came across while I was um, getting ready for this particular episode um, of our priority program. Uh, a couple of articles. I'll link to these in show notes as well. Um, one in the Globe and Mail by uh, Leah Eichler, um, which was discussing. Um, first, she's poking fun at an article, um, uh, an editorial by a, a CEO of a startup who was bragging on how his people are so dedicated and constantly work eighty hours. But she uses that as a springboard to talk about some research in this field. Um, and uh, one in particular, um, a professor named John uh, Pincival, um, who's an economics professor at Stanford, um, talks about what he calls it, you know, what he's found in his research is there's a point of diminishing returns in the number of hours you work. Um, he calls it the not. Um, and basically, each successive increase in hours, you know, it, it's, it's a diminishing return. You get a little bit less back for each hour you put on than you got for the previous hour. Each marginal hour is a little less valuable. Um, and around 65 hours a week, um, which is already more than a lot of people work, uh, you stop getting any gain at all. It's no longer worth it to add any more hours. 
And and worse, if you are doing uh, in one study, you know, we found if you're doing ten hour days, seven days a week for seventy hours, um, your output ends up being uh, less than a group that works forty eight hours a week. So you're actually you're not only not adding anything anymore, you're starting to take away. You mm-hmm. get so bad. Um, there's another article I'll link to about uh, medicine that. Uh, attacks the the long work week from a couple different angles. Um, it talks in particular about you know the marathon sort of Elon Musk like hundred hour work weeks of a lot of residents you know doctors in training, um, mm-hmm. and points to some two thousand six research that that found uh, you know there there's a lot of issues with fatigue and um, you know doctors residents uh, making kind of silly mistakes. Um, errors in judgment because they are so sleep deprived, so tired. Um, and of course, proponents will argue, well, you know, that's how you train doctors and they need to be able to see the effect of what they're doing and continuity of care is important and blah, blah, blah. Okay, sure, fine. That might be true. But I think the the point still is underscored. Like, you know, this long of a work week leads to errors. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe in a medical setting, continuity of care is important and you'd also have errors from the handoffs, you know, if there were if there were more shorter shifts and more changes of, of care providers. Um, but if it's true for doctors who are, <laughs> sorry, sorry, the rest of America, among knowledge workers, better educated, often probably a little smarter, a little bit more dedicated and are dealing with life and death issues every day. If it's true for them that an 80 hour work week leads to more errors, it's sure as hell true for you and your tech startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, like people in tech startups, there's lots of smart, great people, but, and, and there's lots of dumb doctors, I'm sure. But I would bet, I would bet the smarter and more dedicated of those two pools, if you average them all out, are people who are residents in training, you know, doctors in training, not people who work at tech startups. Mm-hmm. So much of this is cultural, though, because I'm thinking about what it looks, the way that people talk about how other people manage their time. This comes up in education a lot. Not, I mean, not terribly at at my level in my particular context, but I hear these conversations from K through 12 educators all the time about how people who leave at 4 p.m., people who leave after the final bell of the day people who leave after their last scheduled, you know, after school mm-hmm. meeting or after school obligation, those people are always talked about in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It is never okay to be the person that leaves at four or whatever. Oh, 100%. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's, you know, the oppression Olympics on the other end of the spectrum where, well, good thing you're not the advisor for such and such because I didn't get to leave until 1030 last night. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, or or I was getting back to my car after, you know, I didn't see the sun all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah, in a book we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, The Five Choices. Um, uh, I don't remember if it was in the final edition or if it was in the, the early book that was released with the, with the class a few years before. But um, there's a point made that, like, busy has become a badge of honor. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you ask people how they're doing, and especially at work, they always say, oh, I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm totally buried. I'm totally busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's almost like it's not okay to not be busy. 
Um, right. And, and, and I, so I will like, say, I even, I, you know, my workplace is not really that frantic or that demanding of, of a place. Like it's a very humane work environment compared to a lot of corporations I've worked in. And I feel that pressure. A lot of the time I will answer and realize that what I'm saying, you know, even if I'm answering fairly honestly, like whatever I'm saying about what's going on, it, it when I reflect, it tends to imply I'm a lot busier than I even am. You know, even when things are relatively under control, I, I've I've realized I have this pattern myself of being like, yeah, oh, I've got this and this and this going on. Mm, but really, shouldn't those things just be normal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you know, they're like, not that big a deal. Typical? You know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm I'm writing this code to make this this um, to update this database from this list of things we just got, and mm-hmm. you know that sounds very involved, but really, I'm I'm copying and pasting something and changing one variable, and you know. <laughs> Than letting it but do it's, its thing. very important. It's very, it's, it's a very, very, very important variable. It's very involved, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, and not to say that I'm not fully employed. Like, you know, I I spend <laughs> I spend a lot of time at work working, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just a lot of the time I am not very harried. I'm not stressed. I I don't worry about how and when it's all going to get done. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've got it pretty under control, but I still answer. Oh yeah, I'm totally busy. Yeah, because it's it's like being over capacity has cultural capital. Mm-hmm. Like we we respond well to that. We offer each other, you know, excuses and pity and, and all this crap. We, you know, pat each other on the back for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big employee pity and just, party. And not just busyness, but this, I don't know, like we... I, why do we respond the way we do when other people are stressed? I don't know. Like stress is not a merit badge. Mm-hmm. No, we need to cut it out. No, it it really isn't. Um, but I mean, it it you know, in a I guess in a way, it it. I said it really isn't. It really is. Um, it maybe shouldn't be. Um, we've made it into that though. Mm-hmm. Geez, there was a. a person I was working with who had to leave something because she was ill <laughs> found out later she had a 100 degree temperature <laughs> um, some sort of major illness I saw her out and about the next day because she quote had to go to a group project meeting mm-hmm. so that people wouldn't think she was slacking mm-hmm. the gal was wearing a face mask <laughs> <laughs> go home yeah, go. your job right now is to go take care right. of yourself yeah but uh, there's this perception that to be human and to be a worker are two separate things mm-hmm. you brought up that word humane which is a great word and i i love keeping words like that at the forefront of our thinking mm-hmm. but there's this perception that humanity humaneness is something that you have to sacrifice if you're going to be extraordinary. Yeah. If you want the the big results, you that's well that's a natural trade-off. You can't be both humane and calm and in control mm-hmm. and do wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um I don't know. It's it's and just thinking about about, you know, humane humanity being a human. I keep using these these kind of words. Um I think I think in older episodes of the podcast, you were the one who would use the word human more often. But uh, just <laughs> thinking about about these kind of marathon work weeks and what you're giving up to do them, um, you know, humanity occurs to me as being a lot of what's lost. I, I kind of think in terms of 
some things we talked about in the past too, when we talked about um, cohesion and work-life balance and the various, you know, the hats you wear in your life. Um, one of these CEOs, which uh, which actually, um, I'm I'm I don't know if I'd say I'm a fan of. I find more interesting than Elon Musk, and um, we'll we'll link to a couple stories about about this dude in show notes as well. Um, Jack Dorsey, currently of uh, Twitter again, um, and uh, Square, which is another mobile payments. Um, <laughs> system another another like electronic uh, internet based payment system so kind of a running theme here um but uh dorsey also has one of these 80 hour work weeks that he's kind of famous for but his is interesting to me in a way that that elon musk's is not because <laughs> dorsey is the ceo of two companies and at least the way it's framed in a lot of these articles i don't know if it's this tidy in real life but it's usually presented as he works an eight hour day at uh, and I might have the order wrong, but he works an eight-hour day at Twitter, and then he goes across the street and works an eight-hour day at Square. Um, so it's like like back-to-back, just normal work shifts. Um, and I, I find it's still a ton of work. It's still something a lot of people couldn't do. Again, I think money has a lot to do with how he pulls it off. Um, there might also be a constitutional thing here. I'll try to find... There was a conversation between um, Malcolm Gladwell and a novelist whose name I'm forgetting... Um, that was put out in audio form on the internet about a decade ago. I'll try to find it for show notes. But they talked in there about how um, CEOs in general, not just tech CEOs, but CEOs in general tend to be athletes, like tend to have gone hmm. pretty far in in college or even beyond athletics. And they were hypothesizing that part of the reason that that happens is because uh, these are people with the physical condition and the uh, the discipline to work really long hours, uh, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyhow, I, I find his interesting, though, because within the scope of either of those two jobs, like he's CEO of two huge, complicated, like fast moving companies, uh, but he only works 40 hours at each. Like he has a normal <laughs> sane work week as the CEO at either of these. Uh, so when he talks about his strategies for making it work, I mean, again, we'll say money is probably how he does it for, for stacking the two one on top of the other. Also proximity, it probably helps that he doesn't really commute between them. Um, they're mm-hmm. closely located in space, but I, you know, when he talks about his strategy for doing this, um, it's actually a little bit more believable to me because he is actually only CEO of either one of them for 40 hours a week, mm-hmm. supposedly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and actually the way that he does it, I think, I think speaks to how the rest of us can apply some of this Elon Musk like strategy to, um, to, to have a more balanced and humane life um mm. did you have a chance to look at any of the sources about that about mm-hmm. about dorsey or the stuff further down on the list yeah and it was something that did come up for musk too mm-hmm. one of dorsey's main strategies um so one of the write-ups was talking about how dorsey themes his days mm-hmm. yes lots of good, That's the one lots I'm of good of. verbs humaning and, and theming <laughs> um musk like humaning um yeah, so I thought that was an interesting concept. So I was thinking about that a bit. Um, but basically in one version of it, each weekday and even weekend day in, in Dorsey's case is is focused on a particular type of work, sort of like Musk's idea of batching mm-hmm. or what an author was saying about his work. Um, so not only grouping together similar types of work, but sometimes putting in conditions that other type of work should not happen on certain types of days. Right. So for Dorsey, some of that's like Mondays might be management meetings and, quote, running the company work. 
Um, Tuesdays will be focused on products themselves and product development. Wednesdays might be mostly about marketing um, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one author in one of those articles was was suggesting that an everyday application, you know, for the for the everyday person, you could do something similar. Maybe you couldn't exactly divide types of work by day because of whatever mm-hmm. your context demands. But maybe you could do something like, and we, we've talked about strategies like this before, you could do something like and say, uh, all internal meetings should happen on Mondays so that we get used to doing all of our touching base work on Mondays. Right. Or likewise, but I guess on the flip side, Tuesday should be a no meeting day. It should be much more introspective and, and individual. Right. Yeah. There's, um, uh, Merlin Mann's talked about this, about having like, um, reverse office hours, you know, like an agreed mm-hmm. upon time in our company where we are not, or in our department where we're not going to bug each other. Um, mm-hmm. or, or another way he's applied a similar idea of batching. Um, he has what he calls telephone Thursdays. So if anybody wants to have a call with him for any reason, he tries to schedule it on Thursday and he tries to keep Thursday empty of other things so that he is available to put those there. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, th- I think is smart and clever. Um, yeah, another version of the same idea that I, uh, I, I recalled and luckily found um, <laughs> the site. I don't know if you looked at this link, the, uh, the, the um, academic productivity blog post yeah. uh, by Kel Newport. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but the, uh, it's actually hosted at archive.org. So this is the, the cached version of this page that has gone away. <laughs> it is off the mm. internet, um, but somebody preserved it. So this is an article by Cal Newport, not on his own site, um, called "How the Best How Do the Best Professors Work," um, which I thought was apropos considering you are, um, you know, <laughs> teaching college level courses and pursuing a PhD. Um, but he has he has kind of a he presents a, a very similar idea, and and he stresses like you know you might not be able to do this perfectly. You probably won't because, you know, if you're a young professional in academia, um, you might not have that much clout and other people might not care what your system is, but to at least try to push things this way. Um, and what he calls it is the, the three plus two graduate student work week, um, which has three parts. First designate one day each week to be your administrative nonsense day. Um, which is literally my favorite term in any of these articles. Um, and, and he, he says for him, that's Monday. And that's just, you know, mm. administrivia, returning library books, paying bills, um, you know, going through old email, returning calls, um, uh, any kind of, of like, you know, not creative, not research, not really advancing your career, but it's got to be done kind of administrative work. Um, then he says, designate one day each week to be your big idea day. Um, and that he's, he likes to spend Friday doing that. And that's where he works on, you know, his big dream research project, coming up with ideas, brainstorming, looking at literature, you know, um, to keep pushing his stuff forward, even though he's got a bunch of work to do, you know, on other research he's contributing to and, and whatever his, his professors and bosses are looking for. Um, and then the other three days, um, you use those to get your normal work done. Um, so his is a little less structured than Jack Dorsey. It's not like there's five days a week with, with themes for work. And then one of the weekend days is for strategic thinking. Um, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's only got two of these special designated days, but I, I think it's, I think it's kind of a good pattern. And actually reading this, I was thinking, I kind of want to try to, to implement this a little bit at my work, you know, maybe make Monday morning, my administrative nonsense time and Friday afternoon, my (laughs) big dream, you know, crazy project time. 
I'm picturing it like a children's show and you someone walks out on the stage and says, okay, it's administrative nonsense time. And then everyone <laughs> cheers and the sign falls down. And yeah. Well, I, it's time to start that, that I kind of like, because like in his article, like the, the section heading, designate one day each week to be your administrative nonsense day. It's a normal sentence case, except for administrative nonsense day is capitalized as though it's a holiday. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, get, yeah, get, I think... get your secretary a happy administrative nonsense day card on uh, mm-hmm. on uh, administrative professionals day. Well, yeah, I think I might pursue this this children's show thing, because honestly, if you if you were to explain to a child some of the work you have to do <laughs> as part of the bureaucracy of your work mm-hmm. or the tedium of your work, that section of work would be the most nonsensical to a child right it's like the rugrats episode like, where they imagined what it's like to be grown-ups and they went to the office to push paper which is you know an mm-hmm. expression that grown-ups used to use for what they did at offices and they just imagine this office building just full of paper piled up everywhere and big brooms to push it around with mm-hmm. which was actually a little more fun than <laughs> <laughs> than the actual yeah the actual task Indeed. Mm-hmm. yeah um i'm gonna start developing this i don't know who the host would be Maybe it'd be like a, a giant stapler or something. <laughs> could be. Giant talking puppet stapler. Um, yeah. Could yeah. be, could be. And, you know, one one other related uh, source, you know, somebody making a similar argument. Um, this is from a book called What They Teach You at Harvard Business School, My Two Years Inside the... I can't actually read the end of the title on my screenshot here. Um, my two years inside the administrative nonsense. Um, I'll link to it in show notes and you can see the actual title there. Um, but this is a passage uh, where a, um, a gentleman who was, uh, I, th- I think, sort of an executive in an executive leadership role at a university uh, named Dean Clark, um, who came to speak at Harvard Business School. Um, uh, supposedly, he explained the secret of his success as whittling his life down to just four things. Um, I'm quoting, quoting the passage here. Work, family, faith, and golf. As an academic, he used to arrive in his office at dawn and work in silence until lunchtime. Um, and as an, as an aside, I love that part. <laughs> I want to close my door until lunchtime. Um, <laughs> only then would he engage with the world, returning telephone calls, answering letters. On Saturday, he played golf, and on Sundays, he spent the day at church with his family. Such discipline had propelled him to the leadership of the school. Um, now, I, I mean, it, you know, we can talk about whether that's a you know Sunday at church with his family is enough family time. Although I notice it doesn't say that he stayed particularly late at the office, so maybe had weeknights as well. But I like this idea that that he thought very consciously of what his roles were. You know, in Jack Dorsey's case, you know, that would probably be CEO of Twitter, CEO of Square, hiker, and visionary, because that's kind of how he divides his time. Um, <laughs> But this this guy, you know, Saturdays are for golf. Like, that's what he does with his Saturdays. Sunday is for church and family. That's what I do on Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, during the weekday, he had his quiet time in the morning and his, his, his you know, had introvert time in the morning, extrovert time in the afternoon. Um, as, as my brother-in-law, Travis, likes to say, um, <laughs> he, he extroverts in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. He likes to use those as verbs. Mm-hmm. Um, but same, same idea. And that's, that's, I wanted to bring that one up because these others, you know, we've just talked about Dorsey and Cal Newport in terms of work roles, but I mean, this is a guy who, who even segments his private time that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm struck that golf and discipline were within 
a couple thoughts of each other. <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that the vision for a disciplined week mm-hmm. includes golfing. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's, I, I'm glad you seized on that because I wasn't thinking of it in those terms, but I think that's exactly right. When I talk about like the, you know, Elon Musk and his lack of humanity, um, <laughs> you, <laughs> Musk like humanity, what I'm thinking of is like, I mean, all he's, all he's doing is, as near as I can tell, like, it sounds like he's just working and sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. and that's assuming he sleep, maybe he sleeps four hours a night, which, you know, good for you. Um, if constitutionally you can do that and, and not kill over dead at 55 of a stroke, then, you know, you're superhuman and your advice on how you did it isn't really useful to the rest of us. Um, Mm -hmm. everybody else should probably get some more sleep. Um, and, and again, money, like God only knows how many completely stupid errors Elon Musk is making, how many terrible judgments or, or horrible, you know, screaming at somebody in the elevator like Steve Jobs, you know, bad CEO moments he's having that other people are running around behind him cleaning up. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not viewed as a trade-off because, again, money. Yeah, exactly. You can you can pay people to counterbalance that crap. Right. Um, I'll, I'll try to find the original source of this quote, but I, I, I've heard it via John Syracuse the most often. You know, success hides a multitude of sins. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can, you can really be a truly execrable human being and have a lot of bad business judgment if some part of your enterprise is successful enough that it more than outweighs, you know, the problems you're causing. <laughs> yeah. So rather than spending money on marketing, which Musk does not do, could be on cleanup. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Speaking of cleanup, I got to do some laundry today. Oh, preach. Preach, brother. <laughs> Saturday, Literal brother. Saturday I mean. is for laundry. Sunday is Ugh. for sleeping. <laughs> Yikes. The the day with no socks is for laundry. Mm, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Socks zero. <laughs> Congratulations. You've reached socks to zero. Want to reach it more often? <laughs> Install the app. Now, there's only so many things you can do with a sock. You can delete it if it gets a hole. You Wait. It would be hilarious to come up with a, a socks app for the the mysterious single disappearing socks and, and mismatched socks. But it could just be a, a checklist with cute little animations that, that's basically like, did you look behind the dresser? Did you look under the bed? Uh, it would, would be hilarious. There's a million apps in the app store. I'll bet somebody's done it. Could be. Although if not, that could be like after our book, that could be our next million dollar project. Mm. there's some awful television show right now called million dollar genius or something like that (laughs) that's basically profiling people who came up with some idea Mm -hmm. that was able to launch a a company but (laughs) this show started it was on our television and i made some noise or i groaned or i said oh god or something and very quickly shut it off and, and Billy right away said, don't you want to know how they did it? Said, no, absolutely not. Actually, you know what? I do want to know how they did it, but I'm not going to find that out on the show. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get like a, a TV, a TV, um, you know, executives idea of how to package a story that is how they thought they would do it, or at least the parts that, that, you know, they feel like sharing about how they did it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's even assuming they actually know how they did it in the first place. All of which are going to be framed to perpetuate the idea that the American dream exists and is equally attainable for all people. Hmm. 
Well, I think I think the American dream exists. <laughs> it's just the second part that doesn't work. Like you can <laughs> you can have a dream whether it's achievable or not. <laughs> uh huh. But the tagline for the day, as we all know, is "and money." Mm-hmm. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I. T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to start developing this. I don't know who the host would be. Maybe it'd be like a, a giant stapler or something. <laughs> Could be. Giant talking puppet stapler. Um, yeah. could yeah. be, could be. You're a giant talking puppet, Steve. I certainly am, and I'm proud of it. Do you have a union? <laughs>